The following program is for informational purposes only. Do not make any investment without speaking to a licensed financial advisor. It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Hey, thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Financial Physician. Happy New Year. Got a special program for you today where we're going to review what happened in financial markets, what happened in politics, what happened in geopolitics, what happened in culture and society in 2023. And we're going to compare that to my 2023 forecast that we did December 31st of last year. And I'm going to see how we did with our forecast. Uh, And I'll tell you, some things we got quite right, other things we got spectacularly wrong. And we'll go over each of those later on. And uh, you're going to want to stay tuned next week uh, when we do our 2024 forecast. Now, when I do these forecasts, uh, I've been doing them for 25 years. And I got to tell you that in the early days, let's say the first 15 years or so, I was pretty accurate, uh, very accurate, uh, if I do say so myself. But then things changed. And the markets and the economy became managed by the central bank, the Federal Reserve. We had the unlimited printing of money. We had uh, the unprecedented zero interest rate policy for, what, 10, 12 years uh, that we've never seen before. So markets were manipulated, as is government statistics and so forth. So it's, it's pretty hard to predict, especially markets, uh, when you have uh, a central bank that doesn't care about printing us into hyperinflation. Uh, to keep the market stable. So it's kind of a, a very difficult thing to forecast. And I was, lis- I was listening to a few podcasts of people going over their predictions and how wrong they were. And many said the same thing, is that, you know, you can't fight the Fed. I mean, if the Fed's going to start talking about lowering interest rates, uh, that's going to change the markets dramatically, regardless of what the economy did. So was 2023 a good or bad year? Well, it depends who you talk to. I mean, it was the, what do they call it? The best of years, the worst of years. Now, if you're an average middle-class family, it wasn't a good year. Uh, 67% of Americans are paycheck to paycheck, wrestling with a much higher cost of living, where their wages aren't keeping pace with inflation. Uh, And I don't think there's too many American families that would say 2023 was a good year for them. Recently, uh, Rasmussen came out with a poll And it said, looking back, uh, how would you rate the year 2023? And this was, you know, a vast range of American adults. Uh, One of the best years ever, 3%. An excellent year, 10%. A good year, 21%. 
a fair year, 25%, and a poor year, 37%. And you always have those 4% that are not sure. <laughs> what do you mean not sure? It's either good or bad for you. Uh, I never know uh, where these not sure are, but 62% of Americans uh, believe that the year was fair to poor. And uh, I think that tells you a lot about uh, the middle class in America that are struggling to get by. Now, government employees, 51%, are significantly more likely than either the private sector workers at 28% or retirees at 33% to rate 2023 as at least a good year. Uh, So it's nice to work for the government. It's a pretty good year when you have all your health care benefits paid for. It's a good year when you're building up a, a tremendous pension for when you retire in your late 50s. It's nice to have a, a job where it's very difficult to fire you. Uh, pretty good year uh, if you have that gig going. But if you're like the majority of Americans who uh, uh, don't have health care paid for 100%, uh, don't have job guarantees, don't have a pension, uh, 2023 wasn't such a good year. Now, of course, this has to do with income, too. Obviously, if you make less income, you're going to, a higher percent of you are going to think it was a poor year. 45% of Americans with annual incomes between 30 and 50,000 rate 2023 as a poor year. An opinion shared by less than a quarter of those earning more than 200,000 a year. So obviously, that makes sense. I mean, if you're making $200,000 a year, you may just label it a fair year, uh, but you're not going to label it a poor year. I don't think so anyway. Well, maybe if you used to making a million dollars a year and now last year you made 200000 I guess you would rate it a poor year. But for most people earning 200000 or more, it's pretty tough to say it was a poor year, at least economically. Now, if you uh, had a lot of money in the NASDAQ tech sector, uh, you would have made a lot of money last year. You would think it was an excellent year. And that's what I mean by it depends who you are. If you're Joe Sixpack, uh, it was a poor year. If you're a very rich uh, one percenter who has a lot of money in the market and, and own the Magnificent Seven stocks, which we'll talk about later, that it went up a lot, uh, it was a spectacular year for you. And that's the problem in America right now. And we'll talk about that as the show progresses, is that there's a big divide now and it's growing. There's the people who have all the money and have the good life own most of the real estate and the the stock market and so forth. And then there's everybody else struggling to make ends meet. And that chasm is growing. It's growing every day. All right, so let's start out talking about um, financial markets. Now, in my forecast show last year, I said that uh, two things are going to drive the markets this year and the economy. And it was going to be the Federal Reserve, what they do with interest rates, And geopolitics. What happens with the Ukrainian war? How does that uh, how does that progress? Does it does it escalate to where uh, it becomes World War Three? How will it affect commodities markets and all that stuff? And uh, and and that was true. Not so much the geopolitical part of it, but the Fed part of it. So what did the Fed do? The Fed uh, continued to raise rates going into the first half of twenty twenty three. Then I believe they paused one month in July, uh, raised them again a quarter of a point in September, and has not raised interest rates since. 
And now, earlier this month, in December, early December, the Fed pivoted. And and that that's the big word uh, on Wall Street, the pivot. When was the pivot going to happen? Or what's the pivot? The pivot is when the Fed stops raising rates and starts indicating that they're considering lowering rates. And the pivot happened a couple of weeks ago. Inexplicably, nobody expected it to happen. And I told you on a show, I think it was last week or the week before, that I thought it was totally political, that that the Federal Reserve got the phone call, Jay Powell got the phone call from the White House, and with the White House's numbers in the tank on the economy, people unhappy with uh, what's going on and what Bidenomics is doing to them. Bidenomics now has become almost a curse word in economics, is that uh, Powell was pressured to start talking about lowering interest rates. And I'm pretty sure that happened. Is there any proof of it? No. It's just my guess. And it's happened many times before. So it's not a unique thing to the Biden administration to try to pressure the Fed um, to do what's politically expedient for them. So when uh, it became evident that the the Fed was not going to raise interest rates any longer, maybe not lower them soon, but at least not raise them anymore, uh, the stock market reversed from what was a pretty nasty July, August, and September, or actually August, September, and October period, where the market was down quite substantially. Uh, and then had a ferocious rally uh, the last two months. And now we're sitting at, uh, I think the Dow and, and the NASDAQ are at all-time highs as we end 2023. The S&P 500, not far behind it. But what drove that? It drove it, you know, the markets are addicted to low interest rates, to free money, to, to stimulus of all kinds. And they're anticipating that the next move by the Fed is going to be down. And I don't disagree with that. I, th- I think it will be. Now, I think it might be a little bit premature, meaning that uh, the talk now is March. Uh, previously, the thought was going to be maybe May or maybe sometime in the summer. But if the Fed starts lowering interest rates in March, you know, I mean, the market is rallying in anticipation of that. But, it, you know, market participants should go back in history and realize that markets tend to go down after the Federal Reserve lowers interest rates. It happened in 2000. As soon as the Fed lowered interest rates, we went into a bear market that lasted two years and a bit of a recession. And the reason being is that if you think about it, if the Fed's going to lower rates, why are they doing that? Because they see a problem. They see a problem in the banking system. Uh, They see a problem uh, in the economy. They see a problem in the bond market. Or we're going to head into a recession, and uh, they're trying to prevent it from being something deeper. So be careful what you wish for. The question is, why would be the Fed lowering interest rates? That's the key. If they're doing it in response to a tanking economy, if they're doing it in response to a bank failure or something similar to that, uh, or they're, they're doing it in response to a cratering economy and a rising unemployment rate, that is not good for stocks. So this is kind of an artificial rally, in my opinion. But it's a rally nonetheless. And if you're in the market, you're happy about it. You weren't too happy in late October. Uh, but you're happy now. And like I said, we're sitting at all-time highs. Now, next week, I will have my forecast to what I think is going to happen with the market in 2024, for what it's worth. 
uh, and, uh, and and we'll uh, we'll go over that next week. So let's look at uh, what the markets did in 2023. Uh, the market's not quite closed yet on Friday. This is when I'm taping this segment of the show. Uh, but this is what we got, and this will be pretty close to what the final numbers will be. The Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, was up 13.77% for 2023, and that was the worst of the averages. And uh, I'll tell you why in a second. The S&P 500 was up 24.5% for the year. Great year for the S&P. But if you take out six or seven stocks in the S&P 500 and you look at the S&P 494 stocks, the rest of the index, not so good. But the NASDAQ was the big winner this, this year because the NASDAQ has the big technology stocks in it. The Magnificent Seven, they call them. You know, the Apples of the world and the Facebook and the Tesla and Microsoft and NVIDIA. NASDAQ was up 44% for the year. And that, what, what a great year for the NASDAQ. But if you look at the NASDAQ 100 and you take out the Magnificent Seven stocks or the big tech stocks in that index, the NASDAQ has not done well. And that's the thing. The average stock has done very poorly the last few years. And that's the thing. When you hear that the stock market's been up, well, it's not necessarily the stock market. It's certain stocks that are so big that they drive the indexes. And a lot of people are surprised. They say, Lou, you just said Dow's up 14, S&P's up 24, uh, Nasdaq's up 44. How come my portfolio's up seven? And I have a growth fund. And the reason being is that a growth fund has to buy hundreds of stocks. They can't just buy the big tech stocks that have been driving the market. And it dilutes the return because, again, the most of the market is not doing well. If you look at the Russell 2000 index, that's the 2000 companies. That's a big index, right? big companies, small companies, mid-sized companies. In the last three years, the Russell 2000 is down quite substantially. Uh, so the market is based now on just a few very, very large, big stocks that have been really driving the indexes. And unless you're in those stocks specifically, you don't have these kind of returns. And that's why, you know, a lot of people are perplexed. The market's doing so good, but I'm looking at my mutual funds. I'm not doing so good. Well, I'm doing all right, but I'm not doing what the averages are doing. And that's the reason why. Now, the 10-year Treasury bond, the yield has dropped dramatically, dramatically in the last few months. Uh, it peaked about 5.25% earlier in the year. It's down now to 3.87%. That's a major rally in bond prices, and it is a major drop in yield. And why is that? Well, it's exactly what we said earlier. The bond market is anticipating that the Fed is going to low, lower interest rates in the spring. And I, I, I've taught you the relationship between interest rates and bonds, that if bond prices go up, yields go down. Or if yields go down, it pushes bond prices up. If interest rates go up, bond prices go down. And that's what happened in 2022 when the Fed started raising rates. The bond market dropped substantially, especially treasury bonds. Uh, some treasury bonds are down 40 50%. And if you recall, that's pre precipitated the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and other banks that had these bonds in their portfolios and still do. 
And that be that may be another reason why the Fed is eager to start lowering rates again. But uh, we've seen a, a pretty dramatic uh, drop in interest rates, and that's a good thing. Obviously a good thing. It's a good thing for the federal government that's paying interest on $34 trillion in debt, which we'll get to a little later. The 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, after peaking almost at 8%, uh, is down to 6.7. Now, 6.7 still is pretty high compared to 3.5% a couple of years ago. But at least the trend is reversed, at least temporarily. And that should be good for the housing market. Uh, gold closed this week. I think it was an all-time weekly high uh, of twenty sixty an ounce, $2,060 an ounce. Uh, it looks like gold um, uh, is breaking out here. And we'll give our forecast on gold next week. And it, it's a pretty damn good forecast if you're a gold holder. Silver silver has been limping along. It has not uh, hit new record highs like gold has. Silver is $24.25 an ounce, uh, spectacularly cheap. Uh, its all-time high is almost 50 bucks. so you can see it's only 50%. It's still 50% off its high. Uh, and without giving too much away, I think uh, silver may be one of the best assets to own in 2024. It was a good year for Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin, after uh, hitting a low of around 16,000, uh, right now is about 42,000. So if you're into the cryptocurrencies, you had a good year. Now, it depends when you bought the cryptocurrencies. If you bought them at 60-something thousand a couple of years ago, well, you're still underwater. But if you bought some Bitcoin at 16,000, 20,000, well, you have at least 100% gain. Uh, oil prices were all over the board in 2023. I thought we had, I think we had a high in the in the 90s. Uh, we had a low in the 60s, and right now oil is at 72 dollars a barrel. And we're going to keep a good eye on oil prices because uh, you would have thought that with uh, the Middle East war breaking out, that it would have had a really adverse uh, effect on oil prices. But OPEC cut production, and uh, that helped to mitigate. Uh, the rising price of oil. And the falling price of oil uh, has affected gasoline prices. Gasoline prices now are down to three fifteen a gallon nationwide. And falling energy prices should be good for the economy. Uh, obviously, uh, energy prices uh, flow into all product production, transportation, energy, uh, electricity, uh, uh, everything. So when you have falling energy prices, it's usually good for the economy. And certainly good for um, uh, for our households who are facing inflation and have to fill up the car. And certainly better than when it was $5 a gallon. But that could change in a moment's notice uh, depending on events in the Middle East. So financial markets did really good. Almost everything went up in 2023. Uh, but will that happen in 2024? You'll have to tune in next week to find out. So what was my forecast on the markets uh, for 2023? I got some of it very right, and I got some of it very wrong. This is what I had to say on, uh, I guess it was uh, December 31st of 2022, about what I thought was going to happen to the stock market. Where do I see um, the markets going? Uh, well, a lot of it's going to have to do with, again, Fed policy. As I said, I started everything. 
uh, one of the big drivers is going to be what the Fed does. Uh, but I think we're going to see hell in the stock market in the first quarter of 2023. Well, I was kind of wrong. I was kind of right on that. Uh, in January, the the stock market had a really good month. Uh, the S&P 500 was up uh, about 7%. And then we had a big downturn. We had a drop of 7% between uh, beginning of February and end of March. Well, what happened? Well, we had the, the banking crisis. Uh, and the market obviously had an uh, adverse return during that period. Then once the Fed came out and established their uh, bank lending facility where they were taking in all these bad bonds that these banks had and giving them full value for them uh, so they wouldn't go insolvent, uh, did this uh, stock market crisis end. And then the S&P 500 rallied the rest of the spring into about August 1st. And it rallied quite substantially. It was up 21% from the lows. And then it started down again. And between August 1st uh, and the end of October, the market dropped 11%. And then we had this big year-end rally, a pretty spectacular rally. Once the Fed started indicating that uh, they're done raising rates, uh, the market rose between um, November and the end of the year, 16.5%, the S&P 500. Quite a spectacular move. You want to talk about a Santa Claus rally? There it was. And that's how we have the S&P up 24% for the year. So uh, I was dead wrong on the S&P and the NASDAQ. This is what I thought was going to be the final numbers uh, in the S&P 500. I think at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the year, we're looking at either an S&P 500 that's flat, unchanged, or or, or down maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 15%. But volatility is going to be the rule. So I was far off on my uh, forecast for the stock market. Uh, You would think that with all the things going on in the economy, Americans struggling to get by, uh, higher interest rates, uh, geopolitical instability, domestic political instability, uh, you would think that the market would have a difficult time. But again, it's looking forward to lower rates. The market is really addicted to lower rates. And this uh, crazy rally we've seen in the last couple of months of 16.5%. The uh, market wasn't doing so great prior to that. It was up, but less than double digits. Uh, and then with uh, visions of lower interest rates in uh, everybody's heads, uh, you have this stampede into the market. Now, do I think it'll last? No. Uh, we'll get more into it next uh, next week's forecast. But, you know, when I'm wrong, I admit it. Uh, I was dead wrong. I wasn't off too much. Only 25% in the S&P 500. Uh but these markets are quite confounding. Uh, the last time I was just stunned by how the market performed versus what I predicted was uh, the year of COVID. The markets had a great year after a very, very bad crash early in the year when uh, the COVID lockdown started. Um, all the stimulus money, all the cheap money rallied the market. And I forgot what the number was, but it was, I think it was up over 20% for the year. In the year that you had the entire world locked down, 68 million people on unemployment. So it's impossible to predict these markets these days because it's an animal of its own. Uh, and uh, and I do this uh, more as for fun than anything. I, nobody can predict the market every year. I mean, it's impossible. You know, you can look at it, you know, the tea leaves and make your best predictions that you can. Um, but I've been I've had my share of incorrect forecasts, uh, as most uh, forecasters do. And I would never use anything I say on this show as investment advice. You should run and do something. Uh, because certainly I have been wrong in the past, and I'll be wrong again in the future. 
But I just tell you what I think uh, based on the information I know, the people I follow that are much smarter than me. And uh, many people got this market wrong this year. Many, many people I respect are very surprised at how good this market it did. It did. And then most of it, again, was the last two months. I mean, very eight weeks to have almost a 17% return in the S&P is unheard of. But again, it's all based on the Fed. And I told you that last year. That it's all going to be based on what the Fed says and does. Now, I thought the Fed would have already started lowering interest rates because I thought we would have been in a deep recession by now. And apparently we're not, or at least the government tells, tells us we're not. Um, and the economy has been much more resilient than anybody would have expected, given the high interest rate scenario, the high inflation scenario, uh, the levels of debt that many families are carrying right now. Uh, but uh, the economy is much more resilient uh, than most economists expected. Now, the economy is starting to slow down now. I mean, it was 4.9% in the third quarter. That was the best quarter of the year. Uh, economists are coming in now. I think the Atlanta Fed is estimating 1.2% growth in the fourth quarter, uh, which really doesn't bode well going into 2024. Uh, but we'll deal with that next week on our forecast show. So for the stock market, totally wrong. Um, you know, partially right. I thought there would be a hellish first quarter, and we did get that with the banking crisis. Uh, but certainly nobody expected uh, this late-year rally here in 2023. Now let's turn to the bond market. Now this one I think I got pretty spot on uh, about where I thought uh, interest rates were going to go on a 10-year Treasury bond, uh, how I thought the year would end. And uh, this is what I had to say about interest rates uh, and the U.S. Treasury bond market. Uh, and I think we're going to see higher interest rates in the bond market before they start going down again. I think we'll see the 10-year at um, peaking at 45 to, to 5%. Like I said, right now it's uh, 3.88, something like that. Uh, so we have uh, more upside in interest rates. Uh, which means that we have more uh, upside in mortgage interest rates, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about and how that's going to affect the housing market down the line. But then I see the bond prices rallying uh, later in the year as the Fed reverses and uses uh, we, the term we call pivot. Uh, the Fed pivots and realizes that, hey, uh, we're destroying the economy too much. We're um, creating massive unemployment. Uh, financial dislocation uh, in the markets, maybe even a banking crisis uh, and uh, liquidity issues, and we're going to have to aggressively stimulate again. Uh, and then we're going to see a major rally in bond prices. So I, I think overall, uh, 2023 uh, is going to be a good year for bonds. I think bond prices are going to rally. I think yields are going to fall substantially uh, if this all plays out uh, like I'm laying it out to you. Uh, but again, vol volatility in a bond market, you're going to see it. So I'd say I did a pretty good job on forecasting the bond market uh, for 2023. Sure enough, we started the year, I think it was 388, uh, ran up to a high of five to five and a quarter. Uh, and then uh, bonds rallied later in the year and yields drop as uh, the talk of the Fed possibly lowering interest rates in early 2024. Uh, cause yields to drop. So I, I'm going to give myself an A-plus on that one. Not so good on the stock market, but I think I had the bond market down pretty good. So how about gold and silver? Um, gold and silver had, uh, well, gold had a good year. Uh, I mean, it was up $250 an ounce, uh, or 14%, closing at a weekly record high. 
of around, uh, I don't know, 2070, whatever it is. But I was much more optimistic. I, I thought we were going to really have a, a price explosion. And you know, even though gold hit an all-time high, it's still only up 14%. And it's still only at the high it was, you know, it's a slightly higher than it was in 2011 when it peaked at $1,950 an ounce. Uh, so I was much more optimistic. Now, silver did nothing this year. I mean, silver was basically flat. And it's been very disappointing precious metals for investors in that sector. Um, but gold had a decent year, uh, not the spectacular year that I expected, uh, but I think it's coming and we'll dive more into that, you know, next week on the forecast. But this is what I had to say about the gold and silver market for 2023. Uh, I think we're going to see a major run in, uh, uh, in this coming year. Uh, it will be the year of gold and silver. Uh, and there's a number of reasons why, um, why I'm saying that. Uh, A, I think the Fed is going to reverse course. As I said earlier in the program, once something breaks, whether it's the market or the economy, uh, the Fed's going to panic and bring interest rates down dramatically. You're going to see the dollar plunge, uh, which will be very, very bullish um, uh, for gold and silver. Uh, And uh, I think we are going to see a breakout in gold and silver uh, that's going to make your head spin. I really do. Uh, My guess is that we're going to... uh, See gold uh, go from eighteen hundred uh, to at least twenty seven hundred an ounce, uh, which is up uh, about fifty percent. So I guess I get maybe a C on that prediction. You know, I'm kind of biased. I you know, people who know me and listen to this show long enough know that I'm a big believer in precious metals, and that I'm a big believer that the U.S. dollar is toast, and it's just a matter of when. And gold and silver, you know, it's going to have its day. Like I said, I don't want to steal too much from next week's show, but it is. I mean, you know, we'll talk later in the program about the BRICS and, uh, you know, the, the de-dollarization, that, that word that became a chic word in financial markets in 2023. We'll talk about that later in the program and what that means, uh, you know, for precious metals and the dollar. But look, you know, we have a, we're going to have a, what, $2 trillion deficit this year, we went from $31 trillion in debt to almost 34 in one year. Uh, it's just unsustainable. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, and the Fed, it's, it's tight money policy seems to be coming to, to an end. And it's my guess next year that they're going to be, like I said before, lowering interest rates and making money liquid again, making it cheap, uh, which is very bearish for the U.S. dollar and very bullish for precious metals. So we'll we'll... we'll We'll see what I think about gold and silver for 2024 uh, on our next week forecast program. So you don't want to miss that. All right, to sum up uh, financial markets and the economy, uh, 2023 was a pretty good year. The economy didn't fall into a deep recession or some, some say not even any recession. And that surprised a lot of economists. It certainly surprised me. I thought we'd be in a recession uh, sometime this year. I also thought that the Fed would have lowered interest rates by now, so I was wrong on that. Uh, the stock market, forget about it, totally wrong on that. Uh, not too too far off on, you know, gold. It was okay. The bond market I had pretty good. But that's the one thing about financial markets. They are confounding. And uh, the smartest minds on Wall Street many times get it wrong. And the market can fool anybody. 
And there's so many variables to markets that it's it's almost impossible to to totally forecast. Now you can look at valuations and things like that, but when you have cheap money, and we've had cheap money for such a long time, valuations don't mean anything because it's inflation. I mean, that's the same thing. You know, all that money that was printed during COVID found its way into the stock market, found its way into the real estate market, it found its way into cryptocurrencies. That's inflation. And that's why during COVID, people were saying, like, how can the market go up when we're living in this crazy world that we're living in? With massive unemployment, lockdowns, the economy crashing, uh, is because of cheap money. And you could use all your uh, reasoning in the world to say the market shouldn't be going up. But if it is, it is. And that's what's so confounding about markets for the last, I would say, 10, 12 years. They don't follow uh, the rules uh, of the financial ecosystem that uh, has been around for a century. There's new rules now. And, uh, you know, are we going to see the markets go to infinity uh, due to hyperinflation at some point? I don't know. Uh, But um, the economy did hold up well. Markets did very well. Virtually every market did pretty well which is a total reversal of 2022, where stocks were down big, bonds were down big. Uh, so it's a good thing. It, it, you know, I, people call me gloom and doom. I, I call myself a realist. I'm happy when I'm wrong on this stuff. I don't want people to lose money. I, I manage money. I'm in the money management business. I'm an investor. Uh, I don't want the economy to tank. I just, um, I just call it the way I see it. Uh, and uh, we'll do that next week. And again, don't make any investment decisions based on some of the things I say here. I mean, I'm, I do this more for fun than anything as far as forecasting the future. Because maybe I'm right 50% of the time, like most uh, analysts on the market. Uh, all right, let's take a, a short break. On the other side, we're going to talk about, oh, man, the other things going on in 2023 from geopolitics to domestic politics to social and cultural rot that we have in this country, uh, the weaponization of the justice system in this country. Lots to talk about on the other side of the break. Don't go away. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Scatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. advisory services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. Thanks for taking time out of your busy day to uh, join us for... uh, 
The Financial Physician Podcast, we get together uh, once a week. Uh, we do a two-hour, one-and-a-half to two-hour show. We upload Sunday morning, 7 a.m. usually, and uh, it's available to you all week. Uh, thanks so much for sharing the podcast. If you think it has any value, put it on your social media, send the link to family and friends, and uh, we try to grow this podcast each and every week, and it's all up to you guys to, to tell people about the show, and we have been growing, and I, and I thank you for that. So it's New Year's Eve. Uh, hopefully you had a, a wonderful Christmas. Uh, it's amazing how quick the year has gone by as we go into a, another year, 2024. And uh, I have a lot of foreboding <laughs> going into this year. Uh, we'll talk about it next week on what I think is going to happen. Again, I may be right. I may be wrong. I'll probably be wrong in half the stuff I talk about. Uh, but uh, I don't think I've gone into a new year with such uh, concern. About virtually everything. And we're going to dive deep into that next week when we do our 2024 forecast. And we talk about the forecast markets. We talk forecast the economy. We forecast uh, geodynamics, geopolitics, uh, current politics. Uh, obviously, 2024 is an election year. It's going to be an election year like no other one the United States of America has experienced. So buckle up. Uh, it's going to be an interesting coming year. Let's talk about a term that last year really came into, when I say last year, I mean 2023, uh, really came into vogue, and it was a term, de-dollarization. And what does it mean? Well, the reason why the United States has been as prosperous as it has been over the last 70, 80 years, uh, and the reason why we've been able to have deficit spending, uh, incur $34 trillion in debt, and not have our currency crash and not have hyperinflation was due to the fact that the dollar was the world's reserve currency. Back in, I think it was 1973, Henry Kissinger went to Saudi Arabia and told them, look, we're going to buy all your oil, right? We're going to provide you with any defense capabilities that you need. All we want you to do is trade oil in dollars, and we want you to take that surplus that you have and invest in U.S. treasuries. And Saudi Arabia thought that was a good deal for them at the time. And it's worked out pretty good for 50 years. But now we've seen a big change. And 2023 was the year of the big change, where the dynamics that have been in place for 50 years have changed. And that's namely because of the BRIC countries. BRIC stands for Brazil, Russia, India, and China. And then the S was South Africa. But you're going to have to extend that name. It won't be even a name you could pronounce because... There's, I think, 25 additional countries that are trying to enter the BRICS union. And uh, the most important one that, that, that enters the union on January 1st, if you're listening to this on, on New Year's Day, today is the day that Saudi Arabia now is part of the BRICS union. Now, they met in 2023 in August. There was a lot of conjecture that they'd announced their own currency, a BRICS currency, backed by natural resources, backed by gold and silver. They didn't do it. I just don't think they were ready to do it yet because they have one shot to roll this out and compete with the U.S. dollar. And they want to make sure that it's just right. But all these countries, whether it's China, whether it's Russia, whether it's India, and any other country that's thinking about joining the BRICS, they've been accumulating gold especially. You know, last year was a, 2023 was a record year for central banks buying gold. You never hear of the United States buying gold because we're broke. 
but you hear about Russia buying tons of gold, China's always buying gold, India's buying tons and tons of gold. So these central banks obviously um, believe gold is the good alternative to the U.S. dollar. Think about it. What would you rather have? A Federal Reserve note, currency of a country that has $34 trillion in debt and growing by two, three, four trillion a year, uh, whose politics is, uh, you know, the rest of the country looks at us and say that they can't even hold a free and fair election. This is America. Uh, why do we want to invest in a country? And if you think about it, you know, uh, the value of a, a country's currency is, is, is based on the confidence that the rest of the world has in your economy, in your political structure, uh, your rule of law. And all that is being lost here in the United States. And don't think the rest of the world doesn't see it. They don't see America as in decline, socially, politically, culturally, economically. Why would they want to hold on to U.S. dollars? And once confidence is lost in a currency, uh, it's over for that currency. And now the reason it hasn't happened so far, again, is because world trade was based in U.S. dollars. Now, that's not going to end tomorrow, but it's being chipped away at every day. And my guess is sometime in 2024, uh, the BRICS will roll out their own currency. And that would be the death knell for the dollar. Also, just recently at the, the, the climate summit uh, held in Dubai a couple of weeks back, Dubai said that they're going to start trading their, their oil in other than dollars. And that, that went under the radar. I was surprised that it wasn't a bigger story. So you're going to see Saudi Arabia, and you know, you'd say, well, what about the military pact we have with them? Well, if you remember uh, a year ago, or was it two years ago? Two years ago. Saudi Arabia signed a, a contract with Russia, a military contract. So no longer is the United States the only military game in town. And they don't have to play our game in our demands to use our currency. And as they become part of the BRICS, which uh, as of January 1st, 2024, they are, and many more countries are joining the BRICS, uh, the dollar is going to get weaker and weaker and weaker. And that's why you see uh, divestiture of U.S. treasuries around the world. That's why you see uh, the central banks buying gold instead of having U.S. dollars as their reserves. And uh, it's the beginning of the end of the U.S. dollar. And that's why I, I talk a lot about gold that I have for years is because this is inevitable. It's only being accelerated now due to the, the movement of the BRICS countries to be an alternative to the United States. The rest of the world is sick of us, sick of us calling all the shots, sick of us being our militaries everywhere in the world. Do you know that we have 800 military bases around the world? 800, which is totally unsustainable financially. Uh, but, you know, the rest of the world says, you know, we've had it with the United States. And we're going we're gonna to band together. Uh, at least half the world's population, and maybe more when it's all said and done, and we're going to compete with the United States. And, you know, when you have economic cooperation, uh, military cooperation goes hand in hand with that. So you're going to see the BRIC countries, which right now, you just take Russia and China, two-thirds of uh, the nuclear weapons in the world, which makes the United States an underdog, uh, and you add to it the economic powerhouses of Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, and oil. And uh, you have uh, quite a military alliance. Add to it the nuclear weapons that, that are held by Russia and China, and India has some too. And eventually Iran's going to be part of the BRICS. Uh, it's uh, very, very concerning. 
Now, the dollar uh, has been weak the last couple of months. Uh, I think it was only in October, uh, the dollar index, which compares the value of the U.S. dollar against a basket of other currencies like the euro, the yen, and so forth. Uh, it peaked at 107 a couple of months ago. Right now, it's barely holding 100. I think it's 101, the index today. So that's a 6% drop in the U.S. dollar in just a couple of months. And part of that has to do with the Federal Reserve talking about lowering rates again. You know, a currency likes high interest rates. It hates low interest rates. Because if your country is paying high interest rates, money will flow to your country to get a nice return. And if, especially if that money is guaranteed, like a U.S. Treasury bond is, uh, they, they like to invest in that stuff. And that means they have to buy the U.S. dollar and invest in U.S. securities. And that, that gives strength to the dollar. And we saw that uh, last year. But after peaking at 107, you know, we're at 101, and my guess is, and we'll talk about that next week, we're going to go a lot lower in the U.S. dollar index. Add to that uh, the talk of de-dollarization around the world. Uh, and you got to set up for a massive inflation problem, a massive loss of purchasing power of the U.S. dollar. And it has uh, substantial ramifications, not only for the average family who's going to see everything continue to go up, but for the overall national security of the United States. So we got to keep a good eye on de-dollarization. we got to keep a good eye on the BRICS, uh, who's joining it, when are they going to introduce their own currency, are they going to uh, uh, pull off what's called uh, was Operation Sandman or Project Sandman, which we've talked about in this program before. It's rumored that these countries are all at once going to announce that they're not using dollars at all anymore. Imagine that. All the BRICS countries at one time come out and say, we're done with dollars. And where are those dollars going to go? They're going to come back home here, causing a massive inflation problem. But we'll dive into that a little bit more on on next week's forecast show. But in 2023, this this is a big deal. And it hasn't gotten the press that it should. Hasn't gotten the attention that it should of this new alliance being formed, this new economic alliance, this new military alliance, which it will turn into. Uh, and it's uh, chipping away at the dollar, and it's going to happen quick at some point. You know, it's little by little by little, then all at once you're going to see uh, a plunge in the U.S. dollar. And then people ask you, well, why do you talk about gold all the time? That's the only way to protect yourself. You're not going to protect yourself having money in a savings account when the dollar plunges. The only way you protect yourself is when you have real things, hard assets, real estate, commodities, gold, silver. Uh, and that that day is coming. I, I if there's anything that's certain that that uh, assuming I don't die in the next couple of years, but in my lifetime I'm going to see it. And I'm 63. I'm going to see the, the the currency crisis come to America. And uh, all you have to do is look at the tea leaves, look about what's happening in the world, and you know what's coming. Look at what's happening here in the United States. Look what's happening abroad with the BRICS. Uh, and to talk about using other currencies for trade, uh, it is the death knell for the dollar. As we uh, enter 2023, uh, the war between Ukraine and Russia was almost a year old. And the press was telling us how Ukraine is winning and we need just give them enough money, give them enough weapons, uh, and they're going to win the war. And if we don't beat Putin, uh, we're going to have World War III because he's going to want to take all of Europe back. 
Well, it turns out that in 2023, it became obvious that Ukraine is not going to win this war. I mean, the Russians just have too many men, too much ammunition. Uh, and uh, and uh, although they're not conquering the entire country, they held their own. The counteroffensive this summer that Ukraine launched, all it did was kill hundreds of thousands of their soldiers uh, and, 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 and brought nothing. They made no progress on the battlefield. As a matter of fact, they lost. Um, they lost area. Uh, so now we're at a situation now that it's obvious that a negotiated end to this war will happen uh, most likely uh, relatively soon. Because the United States and the, and the West now have seen that this, this is just a money pit. Uh, that we don't want to send them any more money, any more weapons. And without that, they, they have no chance. And I think Zelensky has been pulled aside and said, look, it's time for you to negotiate peace with Russia. So that happened in 2023. And I guess that's a good thing because uh, Ukraine was never going to beat Russia. Russia would never have allowed it. Russia's a nuclear power. They're not going to be defeated. And anybody who thought they would be uh, is ridiculous. So we wasted, what, $100 billion, probably more, and plus whatever the West, the rest of the West used. We've depleted our own stockpile of weapons where we have a defense right now that, that doesn't even have enough bullets and ammunition to fight a one-front war, let alone a two- or three-front war. Another big development in 2023 is obviously the Israeli-Hamas war that looks like it could break down into a major regional conflict. And, uh, you know, the Israelis were attacked by Hamas on October 7th, raping, murdering kids, elderly women, taking hostages. And rightfully so, uh, Israel took, a, took it to Hamas and is in the process of destroying them. Unfortunately, so many civilians have died in uh, the Gaza Strip, and that, that saddens me greatly, especially when you see children. Uh, the term collateral damage always bothered me. That's not collateral damage. That's citizens dying in warfare. And it's always happened in war. How many millions and millions of people died during World War II? Civilians. It's horrible. War is horrible. Uh, And that's why I'm glad to see that we may be seeing uh, the Ukraine-Russian war come to an end this year. That's a good thing. But I don't know about this Middle East war. I mean, it's... uh, uh, Israel seems hell-bent on uh, destroying Hamas and uh, occupying Gaza. Uh, the rest of the Arab world uh, wants jihad uh, against them. It looks like the northern um, border uh, with Lebanon uh, and Hezbollah is starting to heat up. Uh, just today when I'm recording this on Friday, uh, uh, what is it, the, the 29th, um, Israel killed 12 Iranian Revolutionary Guard commanders in Syria that were getting together for a meeting or some kind of convention of some kind. Uh, So this thing is not uh, ending anytime soon and most likely is going to expand. And uh, next week we'll talk about what I think is going to happen in 2024 in the Middle East. It's not good. It's not good for the United States, and I'll tell you why next week. It's not good for the world, and it's certainly not good... um, for Israel, uh, because I think this thing is really going to explode in 2024. What else major happened in geopolitics uh, in uh, 2023? Uh, well, 
China did not attack Taiwan, and I didn't think that would happen uh, in 2023. Uh, but it's going to happen at some point. Is it 2024? Is it 2025? I don't know. Uh, but it will happen at some point. And I believe that China will be unopposed because I don't think we, the United States, have the ability to uh, take on China without peril. Uh, and uh, I think we, we will just allow China to take Taiwan, just like they took Hong Kong. I mean, the story is a little different. I mean, uh, Hong Kong was given back to the Chinese, I guess it was in 93. But for 50 years, they weren't supposed to meddle in their politics or anything else. Well, now they have total control. And it's not 50 years. Uh, so we'll see what China does. But uh, that didn't happen. But tensions between China and the U.S. are continuing to grow in 2023. Uh, and uh, I'll tell you what I think is going to happen next week on 2024 with U.S.-China relations. All right, let's shift back home here in the United States. Let's talk about what's going on domestically. Uh, let's start with politics. Have you ever seen politics to be so disjointed, uh, volatile, un-American that we're seeing now in 2023? Uh, the persecution of the next president of the United States, four lawsuits, 91 indictments, uh, now you have secretaries of state uh, taking uh, the leading Republican candidate off the ballot in Democratic states. I mean, this is, uh, this is serious stuff. Uh, just yesterday, I'm recording this Friday, uh, one woman, a left-wing Democrat, Trump-hating secretary of state, one person, not the legislature, one person, decided to take him off the ballot. Apparently, the Secretary of State in Maine has the right to do that. So here you have one individual from the opposite party taking the leading candidate off the ballot. I mean, where does this end? Do all the Republicans do this too? Do I, how, how do you have an election when half the states that are Democrat take the Republican off the ticket and the other half of the states that are Republican take the Democrat off the ticket? I mean, how do you have a democracy like that? And if, you know, you'll have tit for tat. I mean, you, you have to. Otherwise, you'll never win an election. Republicans will never win an election again. And there's talk in Republican states to do just that. Now, hopefully, the Supreme Court will uh, slap this down as something that can never happen. And I believe it will. But they got to do it 9-0. They can't show any disunity on this. This is something so fundamental to our democracy so fundamental to what our founders wanted the country to be, a free democracy. Now, it's bad enough that they cheat in the election and, and rig them and, and, and censor uh, the opposition, mail-in ballots, uh, vote harvesting, all the stuff that the Democrats are experts at. Uh, that's bad enough. Now, now just trying to take the other candidate because you know he's going to probably win and just take him off the ballot, put him in jail, charge him with all kinds of stuff. I mean, the state of politics in the United States has never been worse. And you have people who hate each other. The blue people hate the red people. The red people hate the blue people. We're not all Americans anymore. We're blue Americans or we're red Americans. We're woke Americans or we're conservative Americans. Uh, uh, 
And now they're trying to brand the Republicans that like Trump MAGA Republicans, right? MAGA. Ooh, it sounds mean. Sounds, sounds uh, scary. Those MAGA Republicans, they're Nazis. Make America great again. That, that is a pejorative to the left. And it's uh, very scary times in America. And how this is going to play out this year, uh, God knows. Anybody knows. Is there going to be an election at all? Are they going to find some excuse, another pandemic, to get those mail-in ballots out? Are they going to cancel the election? Who knows? But I've never seen anything like what they're doing now. They know they're going to lose. If Biden against Trump, fair, free and fair election, it's a landslide. It's an absolute landslide. And they know it. So they either got to replace Biden, which is what I think they're going to do, or they got to uh, replace Trump, eliminate him from the race. And that has a lot of scary conjecture. Uh, and Democrats have said that. And uh, we'll just you know, get him off the ballot, put him in jail. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? If Donald Trump is convicted and uh, thrown in jail or not allowed to run, what, what do you think his followers are going to do? I think they're just going to take it. Of course not. They're going to be in the streets. Now, they're not as violent and maniacal as the, the left crazies are out there. Uh, but uh, you may have a civil war. And I don't say that lightly. I think that's a real possibility. And when I say civil war, I mean battles in the streets. You know, a civil war is one thing when you have uh, the South versus the North. You know, you have territory. Uh, you know, the left and the right live in the same towns, the same cities in this country. Now, granted, blue states have more of them, uh, more, of the, more of the left. Uh, uh, red states have more of the right. But what is it going to be, neighbor fighting neighbor? I don't know. But I'm very concerned about it going into this election year. The left, the wokesters, I call them sometimes, uh, they're the same thing. They want to change our entire culture. You know, the same way the, the Bolsheviks changed the culture in Russia, uh, the Red Guards in China back in Mao Zedong's day, Pol Pot in Cambodia. That's what these people are. They're crazy leftists. They're against everything American. They're against free speech, free markets, limited government, uh, the traditions of the United States, our founders. Uh, free thought, you got to think the way they think. You got to call a guy a girl if they want you to. You got to call a guy a she. Uh, it's crazy. And these people, you know, they're violent. They're uh, humorless. Uh, they don't change for nothing. But they're just the same. They, they just repackaged movements in history that ended very bad for the country. Whether it's Hitler, Stalin, Lenin, they're cut from the same cloth. Uh, and these people are, are nuts. They're insane. Uh, and it's, ama it's amazing how many of them there are. How about the current scandal? Look at the current scandal involving uh, uh, these presidents of Ivy League 
schools like Harvard, Penn, MIT. These people are, are, are so left-wing radical. I mean, these board, board of trustees that, that, that hired these people, it shows you how crazy the college university scene is. And they control not only uh, academia, entertainment, sports, finance, and the media. They also dominate now, you know, the, the apparatus of the, of the U.S. government. They're so ingrained in there. Think of these people who are running these departments. Uh, so you got guys wearing skirts to work as the heads of certain departments. Where will it end? Now, the question is, uh, did 2023, is that the year that wokeism peaked? I think so. I think people have just had enough of this, that it's just too much. You can only push people so far, and they're like, you know, get out of my face. I'm done with this. But I think it'll probably end in some kind of violence. Because these people, they want to destroy Western civilization. That's what they want. And, uh, and they're very well organized. They're very well financed. And I, wanna, I wonder who, uh, who controls this entire movement. It doesn't happen organically. All of this is part of a plan. Look how it's affecting the military. And it started with Obama when he started allowing trans people into the military. And, uh, and what's happening now is nobody wants to join the military. Their recruitment is way down. They see uh, pointless wars everywhere. And, and the type of people who traditionally join the military, uh, they're disgusted by what's going on in there with, with this wokeness, this racial stuff, this, this gender stuff. And most of these people that go into the military are patriotic white males. They've always been the backbone of the military. And now they feel they're being discriminated against because, A, they're heterosexual, they identify as the sex that they are, and they're white. They're being discriminated against. All part of the plan. All part of the plan. And at the same time, we have a, a, a president who in 2023 uh, declined even further mentally and physically. It's uh, quite obvious to... If it's not obvious to you that your president has dementia uh, and that he is unqualified to be the leader of the free world, the commander-in-chief of the military, can you imagine him being woken up three in the morning and having to make a quick decision on a military issue? That keeps me up at night. But Biden sleeps just fine, I'm sure, day and night. And then we got a vice president who... Uh, is even more incompetent than the demented president that we have. Uh, it's really just, uh, there's so many things going on in 2023 that makes you uh, your head want to explode. 2023 was the, the year that millions and millions of, of invaders came into our country, unopposed. As a matter of fact, the door was open to them. And these people are coming into our country, 10, 15, 20,000 a day. You know, since Biden was president, 8 million illegals came into the country. You know, it's almost the, the population of, of New Jersey. 
in just three years. And it's unabated. And it's purposeful. Just last week, uh, Secretary of State Blinken, Alejandro Mayorkas, that guy should be uh, uh, in a, a, a prison cell somewhere here in the United States. Uh, or worse, he's committed treason against this country, just as Joe Biden has. So they go down to Mexico, and, and what do they do? They go down there to tell the Mexican president to stop it, stop this flow of people through his country, stop people coming into his country on the southern border of Mexico. No, that's not what they did. They went to talk to him about potential amnesty for all these people that have come into the United States. And that's the plan. Get them in here, give them amnesty, and give them a voter ID card. Or at least get them on the voter rolls so they could vote Democrat. That's what this is all about. They, they can't be anything else, unless it's just the purposeful destruction of America, which is also possible too. But why would any president, any leader of any country, purposefully let their country be invaded by foreigners illegally. Do you know of any other country that allows that? I don't. Try to go the other way. Have an, as an American, sneak into Mexico and see what happens to you. Do you remember that military guy a few years back that drove down the wrong lane going uh, into Mexico and he wound up being arrested and kept in jail for months until uh, I forgot who got him out of there. Uh, a U.S. politician went down there was able to get him out. Imagine that. Meanwhile, we have 15,000 a day coming through our, our, our southern border. It's insane. But it's purposeful. Uh, there's no other excuse. You can't say any other excuse unless it's purposeful. They're either doing it to try to get Democratic voters in here by the millions at the cost of uh, the safety of all of us. They don't care about that. They don't care about the fentanyl coming in. They don't care about the child trafficking, the human trafficking, the MS-13 gang members coming in, the military-age guys coming in from China. Uh, it's treason. It really is. I mean, you're supposed to protect the country. That's the number one job of the president and his administration. And they're doing just the opposite. And it got worse in 2023. Uh, and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better in 2024. That's why it's so important, this election coming up. And that's why they're doing everything they can to stop Trump. Because the people are fed up with the policies of this administration. And the border is a big, big thing. Everybody I talk to, I don't know anybody that I've talked to anyway. I'm sure there's some crazies out there that think having the open border is a good thing. Uh, these people have been given $5,000 gift cards, a uh, plane ticket anywhere in the United States they want to go, and a cell phone. It's unbelievable. Why wouldn't they come? But uh, this is uh, incredibly dangerous to our country. Americans know it. And that's why it's going to be a landslide victory for Trump. And that's why they're trying to stop any way they can. And remember, the left, the deep state, the Marxists, they'll stop at nothing. They're not like the rest of us that understand the rule of law, proper politics, democracy, how it works. These are Marxists. Radical, violent Marxists. And they will stop at nothing to, to maintain the power they have here. And that includes opening the border. That includes trying to jail the opponent, uh, taking them off the ballot. Uh, it, it's just, uh, we're losing our country. And I, to, trust me on this one, there's one shot left. Right, uh, 
Donald Trump has to be reelected. Uh, it's that simple. If he's not, it's over. Now, everybody says, well, why does it have to be Trump? Trump is leading by so much on all the other candidates. He, if he's alive and he's not in jail, he's the nominee. And both of those are very, very possible. The way the left works in this country. Uh, and uh, they've alluded to eliminating him. And that word could have a lot of connotations to it. So the state of affairs in the United States in 2023 is awful. We talked earlier about the, how the economy is holding up and the stock market is doing great. Uh, but the country's not doing great. And that's the, that's the what do you call it, um, dichotomy is the word I'm looking for. Then on financial markets, everything's so good. Investors are getting wealthy, rich investors anyway. The middle class is disappearing and struggling to, to, to stay afloat. Our political situation is beyond unbearable and dangerous. We're being invaded on the southern border. Uh, how long is it going to be before you start seeing attacks in U.S. cities and towns? Be it from uh, radical Middle, middle Easterns coming in, terrorists, or be it... Uh, why are so many Chinese men of military age, tens of thousands coming into the United States? Are they pre-positioning? For something? Has weapons and everything be, been pre-positioned in this country? Nobody's asking these questions. But I'm asking them. Why are they here? Why are they being allowed to come in? What's their purpose? And why isn't it families? Why is it just single-age, military-age, uh, single-military-age men? And how do they get, you know, what's the logistics for them to get from China to our southern border? I mean, this is a whole industry. And you're, what you're looking at it is the takeover of our country. From within and from without. And we'll talk about 2024 next week and how this, I think, may play out. But right now, the United States is in a, a very, very dangerous situation. And uh, short term, it's dangerous. Uh, and long, longer term, it's even more dangerous. And uh, we need a change. And we need it quick. Talking about the open uh, border. Um, the Biden administration uh, warned, warned Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott on Thursday that legal action will be taken if the state enforces a new law that allows authorities to arrest, jail, prosecute, and deport migrants who enter the country illegally. Uh, a Justice Department official said in a letter sent to Abbott that the law was unconstitutional and contrary to the U.S. commitment of ensuring the processing of non-citizens consistent with the Immigration and Natural National Nationality Act. No, it doesn't. That does, that's not what the act does. It does not allow illegal people unfettered access to the country. So the United States is going to sue one of their states because they're trying to prevent illegal invasion of the country. 
You can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's it's so insane. It's so insane that it has to be purposeful. They want it. The Biden administration or whoever's pulling the strings want the invasion of the United States, and they're facilitating it. It's um, unbelievable. You wouldn't believe this like five years ago. I mean, that it'd get this bad and that our own government would be uh, betraying us. All right, I got to take a break from recording. Uh, My blood pressure after this last segment has gone through the roof, and a cool-down period is warranted. Hey, Ryan, I'm back. It's a day later. My blood pressure has gone down, at least for now. But I'm ready to go and finish our podcast. So let's talk about uh, Bidenomics. We were talking about it earlier. It's a pejorative now. People look at the word Bidenomics as, uh, you might as well call it Cardenomics. It's the same economy. But according to the Democrats, the media, everything's great in the economy. That's going to be the theme going into the election next year, that everything's fine. doesn't really matter what you're experiencing in your life. Uh, don't believe it. Uh, don't believe your budget. Don't believe your bank account. Don't believe your credit card balances. Uh, just everything is fine. And Biden, you know, he, he, who has the media in his back pocket, right, railed against the corporate media. And he was saying that uh, he was asked, uh, he was leaving, I think, to go to Camp David in last week, whatever it was. And he was asked, what's your outlook on the economy next year? And he responded, he said, all good, adding, take a look and start reporting it that way. So now he's dictating what the media needs to report. Kind of like the Soviet Union, remember? And everything was always great in the Soviet Union. It was never bad news. And now we have our own Pravda here. And, um, you know, Democrats have been hammering the American public that the economy is great, and they never mention inflation. They never mention uh, the struggle of the middle class right now. Wasn't the Democrats for the middle class? And now, you know, many people in the middle class, you know, now many people are, are using the buy now, pay later option. You know, if you go to some Walmarts, when you check out, you could just hit the buy now, pay later, which is the, the same as using a credit card because uh, there's interest attached to that. It just goes to show you how, how, how strained the average family is right now. But, uh, you know, they want us to have you believe that everything's really good. Now, Biden, you know, back in June, he said, Bidenomics is working. And then uh, in December, he says, I know too many things are unaffordable. Well, how do, you, how do you reconcile that? I don't know. And uh, the, the Bidenomics thing, they, they started it with a media blitz in June. Of course, the compliant media. Do you know that only 3.5% of uh, journalists are Republican? Three point five percent. About twenty five years ago, that was about thirty five percent. So obviously, the media is always going to do and report what's good for the Democrats, whether it's a Democratic president or a Democratic Congress, because they know an election year is coming, and they know they're in big trouble. All right, if the bank, if the um, economy's so good, uh, check out this headline: Banks are closing thousands of branches. And retailers are shutting down thousands of stores. This is from uh, 
Michael Schneider, um, the economic collapse blog. He goes on to say, if the U.S. economy really is in good shape, then why are so many prominent businesses rushing to permanently shut down locations that were once profitable? During the first 10 months of this year, banks in the United States closed a total of 2,118 branches. And uh, they're, they're shutting down branches at a staggering, staggering rate. I mean, I, I know my own bank, PNC Bank, which I've been using for 35 years. I have to go, like, miles out of my way to walk into a branch to make a deposit or to cash a check. It's unbelievable that there's nothing around my home. The, in my town, they shut down the branch. Uh, the branch at my work in Tom's River uh, that it was close by, uh, they shut that one down. And now I have to go out of my way uh, to do my banking. And it's just not PNC. It's a lot of them. And, and, and why are they doing this? Because they see clouds on the horizon. And they're cutting costs. They're laying off workers. 20 of the largest banks have combined to eliminate 62,000 jobs this year. Well, if everything's so good, why are banks closing branches and eliminating jobs? What do they see coming? Well, the banks are not okay. I mean, you know, they papered over the problem with the the bank lending facility we talked about earlier, where they're bailing out all these banks by the Fed's taking their bonds at full value. And by the way, that program's supposed to stop in March. We'll see what happens with that. We'll talk about that next week. But obviously, banks uh, are having some problems. If you also look at the retail stores, How many retail stores were closed? Major retailers? Um, 2,847 locations amongst the the top U.S. retailers are closing thousands of stores. And, of course, part of that has to do with the rampant crime that have forced many companies to keep all their products under lock and key. Remember earlier this year, Target said that they, they were losing as much as $500 million a year to theft. And now, God forbid, you, you try to stop somebody from shoplifting. You're the one who's in trouble with the cops. And then we got a bunch of retailers declaring bankruptcy, Bed Bath & Beyond, Rite Aid, Party City. There's a whole list of them. Uh, and why are, why are these retailers going bankrupt? Well, it's because the economy's coming apart at the seams. Unless you ask Joe Biden about it, uh, and he'll tell you it's all good. All right, time for a break. My name is Lou Skatigna. You're listening to the Financial Physician Podcast. Don't go away. AFM Investments' Lou Skatigna has been serving Ocean County for over 35 years. AFM Investments brings a level of expertise, knowledge, and experience to the Jersey Shore that you would typically have to pursue with a premier investment firm on Wall Street. Whether you need income tax preparation or financial planning, he has the experience to help you with whatever your needs are. For more information, log on to AFMinvestments.net. Advisory services through Fortitude Advisory Group. Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless market 
train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. We're uploading this show on uh, Sunday, uh, December 31st, New Year's Eve. So I want to wish all of our listeners a happy, happy New Year, healthy New Year. And uh, unfortunately, it's going to be a very, very interesting New Year. Um, And I don't say that in a good way. Uh, It's going to be bad. I mean, it's guaranteed to be bad, given the election year and everything that's going on in the world. Uh, it's going to be bad financially, it's going to be bad politically, it's going to be bad geopolitically. And we're going to discuss that all next week on my forecast show, for what it's worth, for what my forecasts are worth. Uh, But I'm going to tell you what I think is going to happen in 2024. And I don't just make this stuff up. I mean, I I read a lot, I talk to a lot of people, I, I, I follow a lot of smart people, much smarter than me. And that's how I get my ideas. That's how I formulate my, my, my views on life, on the economy, in the world. But uh, as I said earlier in the program, going, I don't recall ever having such dread going into a new year. It's supposed to be a time of optimism. And I know, I tend to be a pessimist, and it's, it's one of my shortcomings. I always see things half, half full, Actually, half empty, I guess, is the right the right way to view it as a pessimist. I worry about everything. Uh, and I wish I was an optimist. I wish I was different, but I'm not. And it's pretty hard to be optimistic with what's happening in our country that I laid out before. Uh, so I have a lot to say next week, so you're not going to want to miss next week's show. Now, for the last year and a half... I've been informing you about the move towards central bank digital currencies and how it's a control move. It's a way to control what you, what you buy or at least know everything you buy, who you support politically, uh, what your vices are. I mean, you can't make a transaction without the government knowing it. Uh, and that has its own uh, risks to the population. But I came across a, a video Uh, of a guy, I wish I had his name, Uh, I misplaced the paper that had it on it, Uh, but he's a bigwig up in Europe, and he's involved in the planning of the European central bank digital currency, which ultimately is going to be a worldwide one currency. That's what they're trying to go to, the globalists. And he goes on to talk about what this thing really is, and he says they've developed a... um, uh, a little chip the size of a grain of rice. And, you know, mark of the beast, they want to put it under your skin, and they're going to try to persuade you with that uh, by telling you, well, you can't lose uh, the card, you know, all your plus it's going to have universal ID on it, your passport, everything will be un, under your hand. 
under your skin. And you'll just be able to wave your hand across. When you check out in the supermarket, you just wave your hand over the little scanner. Uh, and your money will be debited automatically from your central bank digital currency account. And you go on your merry way. Now, you want to talk about the mark of the beast? Well, that's, that's it. That's the mark of the beast that's in the Bible. And uh, I won't get it, but, you know, they say, well, you'll starve to death then because there'll be no way to do commerce. And that's exactly what they say in the Bible. If you want to do any kind of commerce, uh, you won't be able to do it without the mark of the beast. So your choice is going to be starve to death um, or, uh, or, or, or you're, you're going to go to hell for eternity. Uh, uh, I, I guess I'm going to choose to starve to death. Because I won't take that. But listen to what this guy has to say. And again, I wish I knew his name and his position, but just trust. He, he's a high up. He knows what he's talking about. He's been involved in this process. And I don't even know the show he was on, but just listen to what he had to say. And the final stage is, you know, it's, it's small and it's the size of a, a grain of rice. Now, why is that? <laughs> And it, it, that grain of rice is your entire wallet? Or? Yes, it's your digital ID, yeah. your wallet, uh, can be your, your, um, your passport, your key. Um, now, of course, what we found with our debit cards or credit cards is they've already now moved to the system, you know, RFID chips, um, RFID yeah. um, technology where you just wave the thing, yeah. contactless. Yes. That is sort of the, the you know conditioning us in this direction. And yeah. In the future, you'll just wave your hand because you've got the microchip, the microchip implant yeah. under your skin, mm. um, and because you know, and each each step there's a rational reason. You know, it's it's easier just to wave this, isn't it? It's much faster because we always have to wait in the queues as everyone types in their numbers and all that. So just wave it; it's quicker. Uh, but the the next rationalization would be well. But you can lose your card. Somebody can steal your card. Mm. And then you're just waving. Yeah. It's kind of risky. Well, yeah. wouldn't it be nice if you couldn't lose it and nobody could steal it? Um, you know, so... But it's clear that that's sort of... It is almost a step too far for a lot of people because it is a violation of human dignity to actually inject something like that under the skin. So um, that's where you need some more persuasion. Yeah. I tell you, I feel like I went to bed one night and I woke up the next morning in the twilight zone. Now, really, it feels like we're living in an alternative reality. We're living in an insane world. Uh, and it seems to happen. It happened almost overnight. But I'm ready to wake up. And uh, this digital currency implant, if you will, uh, is so dystopian. Uh, I, I can't see the majority of the world falling for this. But he, this guy goes on to say, he goes, well, people need a little incentive. And his point is, is that, well, we're going to institute basic income, universal basic income for everybody. But the only way you can get it is if you have the chip. And it's interesting that this concept of universal basic income has been around for around a century where everyone should get some kind of citizen's, you know, payment. Um, but the, the billionaire elites have so far not liked that. But since 2015, they've all come out. I mean, all the, the big billionaires and, and World Economic Forum have come out. Oh, this is a good idea. 
universal basic income. Well, why suddenly now? Because now we have the technology for the microchip implant. Um, and so in 2017, Bill Gates came out and said that universal basic income is a good idea, um, but it's too early to introduce it. Now, what was still missing, so we had the technology for the microchip implant, but what was missing was the digital ID hadn't been introduced. Now, this is where this whole COVID agenda had become very useful. But then he goes on to talk about uh, the COVID agenda and how it's all part of the plan. Crazy times we live in. Now, he mentioned Bill Gates there. How did Bill Gates go from being the founder of Microsoft, the developer of Windows, to now he's a virus expert, vaccine expert, climate expert, uh, universal basic income uh, expert? Uh, Recently, uh, he let his guard down a little bit, and uh, he was overheard, or he was recorded, speaking very honestly. Take a listen. I'm here in Dubai, and of course I flew in on my private jet. Uh, Very, very important meeting. Uh, The issue of you peasants eating bugs uh, will be discussed at length. Uh, That's never gotten the attention it deserves. Um, The issue of COVID-19 not killing off enough poor people and my vaccines not weeding out the rest of you bastards, which is a tragedy, of course. We'll talk about using killer robots next. Um, Chad absolutely solved that problem. Oh, boy. (laughs) Bill being a little honest there. Uh, No, this is obviously fake. It's uh, artificial intelligence. See how they could take somebody's voice and basically make them say anything? Uh, They could do it with video now, too, these deep fakes. Uh, Now, we were talking last week about... um, you know, some of these scams going around where you get a phone call and it's your grandson or your daughter and it's their voice and they say they're in trouble and they need you to send money right away. Uh, and I was asking people, how, how do they get the voice of the grandchild? Um, uh, but see, with AI like this, uh, who knows what they can do? And someone uh, uh, emailed me and said, Lou, uh, the way they can get it is, you know, when anybody leaves a voicemail uh, on your on your phone, it's there, and if they know how to hack it, they can get a voice message from someone in your family, and then use this kind of technology that <laughs> our good friend Bill Gates uh, was used on uh, can 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 do anything. But uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Now I don't think for a minute that he doesn't think that way, Bill Gates. But obviously that wasn't real. He wouldn't say it in public. <laughs> But uh, he seems to have his hand in almost everything, uh, everything negative, everything involving this great reset um, or whatever, or depopulation, who knows. And he has said things, re- real things in the past about vaccines and depopulation and things like that. We're going to keep a good eye on Bill Gates. Now, 2023 was a pretty tough year for the White House, a pretty tough year for presidential spokeswoman Karine Jean Pierre. KJP, I, God, I still can't get her right. But uh, on the Gutfeld show this week, uh, it was being hosted by that comedian guy that sits in for him. I forgot his name. Uh, they did a really funny, well, it's true, but it, it, it's humorous because they put it on Gutfeld. Uh, of the things that she says, she repeats the same phrases over and over again while never answering a serious question. And they put together a nice montage of that. 
Did CGT have a less than stellar 2023? When Corrine's at her best, facts get suppressed. White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre had plenty of memorable moments from this year, from clashing with reporters to offering insight into the president's thinking, all done in her own signature style. And by signature style, I mean not answering questions while repeating the same phrases over and over. President Biden went to his house in Wilmington. What was he doing in there? I would refer you to the White House Counsel. So it was something relating to this case. I would refer you to the White House Counsel's office. I would refer you to the White House Counsel's office. I would refer you to the White House Counsel's office. I would refer you to the White House Counsel's office. I would refer you to the White House Counsel's office. That phrase will sure come in handy during impeachment. <laughs> she also taught us that sometimes you should try emphasizing a different syllable, especially considering the president is doing everything he can. The president has done everything that he can. The president is doing everything that he can. He is doing everything that he can. We will do everything that we can. I don't have a policy update on that, uh, but I know to tell you now, as I've been saying, we are doing everything that we can possibly. We're going to continue to do everything that we can. And everything that he can does not include eventually finding his way off a stage. But hey, when in doubt, always remember to trust the process. This is an ongoing process under the review of the Department of Justice. We're going to respect the process, um, and we're just going to allow the process to continue. Process, process, the process. Let the process continue. It's an ongoing process. I am genuinely saying to you there is an ongoing process. This is all part of the Justice Department process as part of that process. And I said because there was a process of justice throughout this process, we just laid out the process that was taken, and that is the process. Oh, boy, she just never answers her question. Uh and there's very uh, substantive questions uh, for the Biden administration this year, uh, from uh, the corruption in uh, the Biden family to the border to everything else. And uh, she never has an answer. Uh, what's the use of even having uh, these daily press conferences at the White House when she never answers a question? Uh, she's totally out of her league. She's certainly not a, a Sarah Sanders Huckabee or a, a Kaylee uh, McInerney, who was with Trump, both of them. Uh, at least they answered questions uh, from the press, a hostile press at that. Th th this is a press besides Peter Ducey uh, that just throws softballs at them, but she doesn't even want to answer those softball questions. It's a process, you know, and we'll refer you to the White House counsel. Unbelievable. All right, so the, the left has resorted to a new tactic uh, to intimidate uh, conservatives and, and potentially put their, their lives at risk. Have you ever heard the term swatting? What is swatting? Swatting is, is, is calling up the police department and uh, saying that, you know, you live at this address and given the address of the person that you're targeting and saying uh, shots have gone off in my house or something to that effect. Or I'm going to kill myself. And then the police show up, you know, guns ablazing, you know, guns out. Uh, and if you do the wrong thing, you may get killed. And this past week, I mean, it's just starting to happen to everybody. Uh, it happened to uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and her two children. Uh, Republican um, Georgia State Senators John Albers, Kay Kirkpatrick, and Clint Dixon. All Republicans. Also, uh, even Jonathan Turley, you know, he's the uh, Washington, uh, George Washington University scholar 
who's telling it like it is when it comes to the Biden's corruptions and the law, and he defends Trump, even though he's not a Republican. So they had to target him. Georgia Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones. How about this guy, John Paul Mack? This poor guy, he's the guy who, who had the Hunter Biden laptop in his, in his store for months, and he, he wound up keeping it because, you know, it was abandoned. And he looked through it, and he saw all the terrible things that were in there, and he turned it over to the FBI, and the FBI had it for years and just buried it. Well, he got um, swatted, too. I mean, this is a, this is a very dangerous thing. I, the left in this country, as I said earlier, are just so freaking vicious. They don't care. And uh, now uh, Senator Rick Scott, um, he got swatted as well. Over the, this is all in the last week. And uh, he's coming out and saying, look, we, there has to be a bigger uh, penalty for these people when they get caught. He said, last night, while at dinner with my wife, cowards swatted my home in Naples. These criminals wasted the time and resources of our law enforcement in a sick attempt to terrorize my family. Anna and I want to thank the Naples police for all they do to keep us safe. Attorney Jonathan Turley, who was also swatted this week, he defined swatting as a crime. According to Fox News, the crime targets an individual by calling in a false police report for a violent crime, such as a murder, a hostage situation, or other crimes that require greater law enforcement response to the home of the target. The goal of the false police report is to elicit a SWAT team response by the police to the target's home. And of course, that puts the, that family in danger of being shot or killed over a false, false accusation by some unhinged lefty caller. So on Friday, uh, Senator Scott promised to push legislation to make sure there are real consequences for criminals behind the dangerous swatting calls. And I would imagine you call a police department, they have to have your number. I'm sure they have caller ID there. Uh, and these people should be brought to justice. You ever notice it's never a conservative doing it to a liberal? Never. This is the tactics of the left. This is the taxes, uh, tactics of the revolutionaries. These crazy, insane, radical leftists that, that we're having a war against. It, it's going to be evident next year, and we'll dive into that next week, but it, it's going to be evident that we're at war uh, with a pretty powerful organization. These are not organic. These protests that you see, whether it's the pro-Palestinian stuff or Antifa or Black Lives Matter, this is not organic. This is not a group just coming together. This is an organized, well-financed organization that puts these things together. They don't happen naturally. Uh, and it's like I said, it's going to be quite evident next year that we're fighting a war here, a civil war. And the sooner that we understand that, the better. In 2023, the transgender craziness uh, exploded to the point of insanity. Did you hear? I think it was. I think it's in uh, Canada that now they're putting uh, tampons in men's bathrooms by order of the federal government. I mean, you can't get more insane than that. Wake me up! I'm in the twilight zone. I mean, what happened to rationality? Where did it go? How could these people be that sick? How about this one? California to penalize stores for refusing to provide gender-neutral toy sections for children. 
Some California retailers will be hit with a financial penalty in the coming days if they do not bend their knee to the far-left trans mafia. That's what it is, too. It's the trans mafia. Under a bill signed back in 2021 by Governor Gavin Newsom, remember that name, stores with more than 500 employees will be fined up to $500 for refusing to provide gender-neutral toy sections for children 12 years and under by January 1st, 2024. Uh, so the legislative text defines a child care item as any product designed or intended to, by the manufacturer to facilitate sleep, relaxation, or the feeding of children, or to help children with sucking or teething. Um, Greg Burt, vice president of the California Family Research Council, explained how the law blatantly violates the First Amendment. You got the government now dictating the signage in the stores about what words can be used to advertise products. This is opening a Pandora's box. So the clown responsible for this authoritative legislation uh, is State Assemblyman Evan Lowe, Democrat from Silicon Valley. What a surprise. Told CBS News in 2021 that he wants to stigmatize what's acceptable for certain genders and hopes more states follow the Golden State's lead. We need to stop stigmatizing what's acceptable for certain genders and just let kids be kids. Yeah, right. Uh, just the opposite is what our system is doing. It's just unbelievable. California. It's another, it's insane. Insane legislation is just another example of the comedy show that has become reality in America here. It's just unbelievable. Did you see, did you see the viral video of this Delta Airlines employee uh, standing up to a transgenderist or whatever you want to call them? It was a guy in a dress. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he got all offended because uh, one of the employees misgendered him. And you know how they get, you know, when you misgender them. You know, it's, it's, it's like a crime against humanity as far as they're concerned. But uh, this guy stood up to him, and he was very polite. And he, you know, said, look, um, weren't misgendered on purpose. Uh, uh, don't take it personally, but if you do, that's okay. And uh, it started to get a little bit uppity because, you know, transgenders are like that in your face. Uh, until he had a little bit of a threat against him. About when adults employ misgenders you so intentionally. While he's, talk, while he's talking, you're talking. You just misgendered me again. Okay. Multiple times. Both of you have. Sorry. Wasn't intentional, but if you yeah. want to take it personal, that's yeah. also. Well, she did do it intentionally twice. Okay. I talk I you said she, and then you said he. You're being condescending, and if you want to continue, Ooh. I have full authority escort you out the building right this moment. If you want to play that game with me. Okay. Would you like to continue three days before Christmas? I really don't mind. I'm good. I just put this on. All right. So all of a sudden, uh, he says, I'm good. <laughs> After he's threatened uh, to be thrown out of the airport three days before Christmas. These people have to be put in their place. All right. You try to shove this down your, your throat. I remember the day when people who used to draw, uh, wear women's clothing, cross-dressers, transvestites, uh, they pretty much did it at home. They were in the closet. Or they went to a gay bar or something. Now it's in your face. Whether it's your kids at school or, or just some guy just feels like dressed like a girl. Uh, mental illness has exploded in America. Now, of course, uh, you know, the internet was, you know, 
was praising this Delta employee. First of all, because he kept his cool, and then he didn't take it. You know, and he just said, "Look, you know, uh, uh, we, we, we're going to bring the Port Authority police in on this if you're being condescending." And, and, and this is how it's done. You know, you'd have to be nasty. You could just say, "Look, you know, you're a guy. I'm going to call you a guy." And of course, uh, you think Delta Airlines back their employees? No, they're investigating because they believe in inclusivity and equity in their company. So they're going to investigate, and this guy will probably get fired for threatening to call the police on this guy. Uh, you know how that works. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right, let's close with this. Uh, you know how it is when uh, you know blue states that want to raise the minimum wage to $20 an hour, $25 an hour, thinking that they're doing something great for the employees. And what typically happens is the employees get fired or at least half the employees do, to get the costs back down. So it doesn't help anybody. As a matter of fact, it hurts somebody. Here's an example. Back to our friends in California. Um, over 2,000 pizza delivery drivers to be laid off in California as $20 minimum wage takes effect. Pizza, pizza Hut franchises have made a business decision to eliminate first-party delivery services and, as a result, elimination of all delivery driver positions. An increase in the minimum wage for fast food employees coming in 2024 is the reason. Of course, this was an initiative from Governor Gavin Newsom. Remember that that name? Uh, And he said that um, this is all part of the Worker Adjustment and Retraining Notification Act. WARN. They always like to use these. They put these words together. They make no sense. But just as long as they have the anacronym that they want. So, uh... 2,000 people getting laid off. Very, very good. Good thing you did there, Gavin Newsom, for all these poor people who uh, needed a, a raise. Well, instead of getting a raise, they went to zero. And now they're going to go on unemployment, and you could pay them. Everything they do is just the opposite of what makes sense. And unfortunately, um, there's too many of them. And the country is, is, is getting worse and worse and worse by the day. And 2024 is going to be a doozy. And we're going to lay it all out to you next week in our 2024 forecast show. Don't miss it. Um, I'm working very hard on it. I take it seriously. Uh, I'm probably wrong on half the things I talk about. As a matter of fact, I'm hoping I'm wrong on, on what I'm going to talk about next week. I'm praying that I'm wrong. I'm praying that next year when I do my review of 2024, I was wrong on almost everything. But I don't think I'm going to be. And I'm going to lay it all out for you next week. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Happy New Year to you and your family. Hopefully it will be a happy new year. I'm praying that it is. Thanks so much for joining us. Share the podcast with friends and family and social media. That's the way we grow. You want to get in touch with me, my email address is lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. I promise to answer each and every email. You want to get in touch with me in my office or you want to set up a, a no obligation one-hour financial review. Now's a great time. It's the new year. Great time to start, uh, turn over a new financial leaf. Come on in. Uh, I'd love to see you. Call my office at 732-905-8100, 732-905-8100. 
8100. Have a wonderful week and join me next week for the next edition of The Financial Physician. And don't you forget, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far. Have a good one.